Welcome to the Center for Ancient Christian Studies podcast. We're your hosts, Sean Wilhite and Trey Moss. Our guest today is Dr. Tom Schreiner. I'm just introduce Dr. Schreiner here really quickly. He has held the James Buchanan Harrison Professor of New Testament Interpretation and Professor of Biblical Theology at Southern Seminary since 1997. Before joining Southern, he taught at Bethel Theological Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota for 11 years. He's published works, commentaries on Romans, Baker Exegetical Series, Galatians, First uh, and Second Peter, Jude, and has recently published a new commentary on Hebrews. He has a Pauline theology out, a New Testament theology out, and then very recently a biblical theology, The King and His Beauty, which came out in 2013. In addition to all those works, he's also published many books and articles. Yeah, Dr. Schreiner has graciously accepted our invitation to dialogue over his newest monograph, uh, Faith Alone, the Doctrine of Justification, What the Reformers Taught, and Why It Still Matters. Uh, This book is found in the Five Solas series that's edited by Matthew Barrett and recently came out with Zondervan in 2015. So, Dr. Schreiner, it's great to uh, be with you today, and I appreciate you joining us for a brief conversation. It's great. It's great to be with you both, uh, Sean and Trey. I'm looking forward to the talking with you. So maybe just to begin, um, open up the specifics of Faith Alone, why this series, the Five Solar series, and uh, why a book on justification? Uh, the idea for the series came from the general editor, Matthew Barrett, and uh, Matthew uh, realized that uh, 2017 is the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses, and so he came up with the idea of uh, publishing five books on the five solos to remind us of what the Reformation uh, was all about. Even though Protestants are nurtured in Reformation teaching, we, we tend to forget, as we forget everything else, what, what the Reformation was fundamentally about. So uh, we thought it would be a good way of reminding the Church of Jesus Christ here in the 21st century of what the Reformation was about. Of course, there's more to say. Um, I, I'm very honored to be part of this series. We have uh, Carl Truman doing a volume on Sola Gratia, David Van Drunen on Sola Dea Gloria, um, Steve Walm on Solus Christus, and then uh, Matthew Baird himself, the general editor on Solus Scriptura. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, Maybe uh, in the first chapter of this book, uh, you interact with a lot of the church fathers and the the apostolic uh, literature. And what's interesting in in kind of the scope of scholarship within the past 50 years, we have T.F. Torrance. That was in uh, the early, uh, uh, well, the mid-20th century. Uh, Rather being quite skeptical, claiming that the doctrine of justification was jettisoned early on by the church fathers and, and nearly right away, right out of the gate, and really uh, jettisoning from that. Maybe discuss for us what what do the Church Fathers offer us when we articulate the doctrine of justification? Well, uh, Sean, I want to say right off, I mean, I'm not an expert in this area. Uh, I haven't devoted my study to the to the early fathers, but I have read quite a bit in the area now, both the primary sources and the secondary sources. And as you say, Torrance and and others uh, read read the early fathers as if they uh, go against the Pauline gospel. 
uh, fundamentally. But but actually, there's a number of works out there now uh, that that call into question what uh, what Torrance is saying, and and they argue, and I think rightly. I think this fits with the primary text as well. They argue that uh, a careful reading of the Fathers doesn't necessarily lead us to that conclusion. One of the things I say in my book is it, we have to be careful that we don't read uh, the early fathers as if they'd gone through the debates of the Reformation, because they have not. They lived in their own context and their own time. And so I think they do articulate justification by faith. But they also talk about the importance of good works. That doesn't necessarily indicate that they're tilting against justification by by faith alone. They they didn't typically use that expression, but but the matter wasn't debated in those days. And then we think of their particular context, and we see this in the New Testament as well, don't we, where antinomianism is a big problem. So, so we think of the fact that antinomianism exists. They want to be very careful to say that what it means to be a Christian is to live a new life. And we, we think of the pagan context of the Greco-Roman world in which they live. And Christians stood out as well for the lives of virtue, uh, which they lived. So, so I, what I think we see in the early fathers uh, is is both justification is by faith and the necessity of good works. I don't think that contradicts what we see. Um, in the Reformation. Are there some statements in the early fathers that we wouldn't endorse today? Oh, most certainly. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are expressions and statements that they'd say, that I think we'd read and say, no, that, that is a less than uh, acceptable way theologically to, to render such an idea. But again, we have to recognize that there weren't creeds written, there weren't discussions taking place on these sort of things. We remember in early church history, when did this really begin? to come to the forefront with Augustine and Pelagius. They really began to discuss uh, grace and, and good works. And of course, Augustine himself emphasized very strongly the importance of good works, and yet had a strong theology of, uh, of justification. Yeah, right. So just, just for some of our readers who maybe haven't interacted with your book yet, what are some of the key texts, the Apostolic Fathers, early Church Fathers, that you interact with in your book? Yeah, I mean, there's a number of writers uh, uh, that we look at. Uh, uh, First Clement, which we're going to talk about in the next question, so I'm not going to mention the specific text, but he has a very fascinating text on justification that you're going to read in a moment. Uh, Ignatius, uh, uh, Justin Martyr, uh, Ambrosioster, um Hilary of Poitiers. Uh, so we we have uh, uh, the Epistle of Diognetus. So we you know we have a whole fund of writers there. And if, if your readers haven't read the passage in the Epistle of Diognetus on the Great Exchange, I mean, this is a, a, a fabulous and wonderful passage on on justification that could have been written by any reformer. Right. Uh, so so to say that they didn't understand the gospel when you look at the te- at text. I mean, you you have, I think it's Marius Victorinus has a statement that we're justified by faith alone. Now, they didn't typically use that language, but we do actually have some citations here and there where they say that, say such explicitly 
Uh, maybe I could mention as a secondary source, there's a nice uh, book as well uh, by Thomas Oden called The Justification Reader. That's right. Which he traces out some of the themes. Now, Oden himself says in that book, look, we recognize that there are other passages that may say other things. But but yes, there are, there's nothing like reading the primary sources right. and reading the primary text. And I, and I forgot one, The Odes of Solomon. Hmm. The Odes of Solomon is a very important text as well. Uh, that I uh, recommend and a secondary source that I use quite extensively is Brian Arnold uh, uh, dissertation which is not published at this time but he's seeking a publisher I'm hoping Brian's work will be published Brian calls into question Torrance's thesis in particular. Right, yeah, no, that, his dissertation is, is, uh, is well written. He's one of our fellows with, with the center, mm-hmm. and so it's good to have him on the research team. Yeah, Brian, I thought, did an excellent job. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, no, that's great. You, you mentioned First Clement. Uh, er, earlier on in our uh, publication with our journal, we have, a, we have an article by, written by Josh Griever on a couple of these texts. And so maybe, uh, Dr. Schreiner, if you don't mind, just kind of talking a little bit about this synergistic mm, idea mm. of faith and works. So we have a couple of texts in First Clement uh, that talks about that we're not justified through works, but rather justified through faith in First Clement 32. But then you have a little bit um, uh, earlier in the book, in First Clement 30, where he talks of ethics and um, and moralism, and it, and it, he concludes the expression by that we are being justified by works and not by words. And so maybe just peel the curtain back for us and just talk. How, how do we relate those those two concepts and two texts? Well, of course, some people would say there it is, right? That second statement that he says we're justified by works that shows that they departed. Uh, from the, fundamentally from the New Testament, from Paul, and also the Reformed understanding. But I would simply want to say, of course we see this in the New Testament itself. We see statements that we're not justified by our works, and then James says we are justified by our works. And and, and Paul says the doers of the law will be justified in Romans 2.13, and I do not interpret that statement to be hypothetical. So, um, Naturally, we would have to establish by a careful reading of First Clement himself what he meant by these things. But I think a sympathetic reading, a charitable reading of First Clement accords with what we see in the New Testament. Yes, there's a sense in which we're, we're, we're justified by faith alone, apart from our works. God demands perfection. None of us live perfect lives. We desperately need the forgiveness of sins. We need the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. That's finally what what saves us. But at the same time, even as the reformers said, we're justified by faith alone, but such faith is never alone. And I think that's what Clement is saying here. True faith always manifests itself in works. And so we're justified by works. Such works are an evidence that we are, are truly trusting in Christ. And I'd say that's fundamentally what I think the fathers are doing. They're, they're taking both poles of the teaching, what Clement's doing here, and saying they're, they're reading the New Testament for what it says. We're justified by faith and good works are necessary. Not a, not a necessary basis, but they're necessary for our salvation. And I think that's a fair reading of the New Testament. And again, they weren't at, they weren't in all our controversies. So 
Um, I, I don't think that's a contradictory statement there. I think I think that, and I don't. I wouldn't use the word synergism here. I don't think it's synergistic. Finally, the way that is used technically in theology, I think it fits with monergism because because it is God who finally works such good works in us. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's very helpful. And maybe if we can maybe switch gears just a little bit and talk about justification at large, especially in some of the current uh, modern times as well. But even in, even in ancient Christianity, uh, justification by faith wasn't necessarily the only category of soteriology. And we even have uh, Polycarp to the Philippians really relating the question of Pauline righteousness as it's as it's detailed in Philippians, and he relates it to the concept of ethics. And and maybe if you can, not necessarily in the church fathers here, but maybe just at large, uh, share with us a little bit about the concepts of virtue, righteousness, or transformative righteousness, and how should we really go about thinking about these concepts? Yeah, if we if we just go from from Scripture itself, from from Paul himself, Paul the apostle of grace, Paul the apostle of justification, Paul who taught, I think justification is by faith alone, Romans three twenty eight. But he also taught in Romans 6 that those who are justified are also freed from sin. Not absolutely, not perfectly, not flawlessly, but but the power of sin has been broken. And and Paul uses the word righteousness, the kaiosune, a lot in that chapter, of, of, uh, of an ethical righteousness, of a righteousness that's lived out in our lives. That now what it means to be a Christian is to have given yourselves over to righteousness. The people worry when they read that that Paul's talking about perfection. But the language he uses is the slavery, the dominion, and the rule of sin has been broken in your life. Now, I don't think he's saying the absolute presence of sin has been broken. And then we're freed up to be righteous because to live in the way God commands us to live, we, we reach the full potential. The, we flourish as human beings when, when we're righteous. That's what God made us to be, his creatures who reflect his image as we trust him, as we love him, and as we obey him as we live righteous lives. That's, that's God's purpose. God's purpose, as glorious as it is, isn't only to justify us by faith. That is, that is so true, and we cling to that. But it's also to transform us. The gospel changes us as well, and, and that will be consummated on the day of redemption. It's not fully ours now, but it is ours to a significant extent. And I like what Francis Schaeffer said about our sanctification, that we live lives that are significantly different, not perfectly, but significantly, observably different. People who know us, who knew us before and after, they can see a difference, and they're substantially different. I think that's a nice way to put it, because people worry when they hear this, uh, from a Protestant background at least, they worry, this sounds very perfectionistic, and, but, I, but I don't think we're saying that. So, Dr. Schreiner, moving into practical application, you're a pastor. How do you understand this book and the doctrine of justification to work out in your own congregation? Uh, maybe 
it's not right to use the word work, um, or any congregation for that matter, how does the doctrine of congregation, uh, the doctrine of justification affect congregations in our churches? Yeah, since I've been talking mainly about transformative righteousness and uh, the ethical change that takes place, maybe I'll go to the other side. Justification by faith alone, why is that such a precious truth for us as Christians? And it's because uh, as we face death, and unless Jesus comes first, we'll all face death, and even if we face Jesus without death, we'll stand before him in judgment. He will assess our lives. And I think the scriptures teach that God demands perfection. Naturally, all of us, as the scriptures teach, and as we know from our own experience, we fall short. So the reformers asked, and, and the Christians have asked all through history, really, right? Even the early fathers, how do we stand before a holy and just and perfect God? We can't justify ourselves. The law, the law reveals our sin. The law reveals our brokenness. So what do we have to say? And the, the answer given by the scriptures is God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, take the penalty we deserve, and he has given us his righteousness. So we stand before God based on what he's done for us. Why is that important? It gives us such great assurance, such great comfort. Uh, if we're seriously looking at ourselves, it would be a, it's a terrifying thing to stand before God and recognize how far short, short we fall of a standard. We have this great comfort and hope that Christ is our righteousness, that God, God is not our enemy. He truly loves us. He cares for us. He's given his son for us. So we can, as Hebrews says, boldly uh, enter into his presence, knowing that our sins are forgiven. We, we need not be terrified or paralyzed, but we can come with confidence and joy before him and be assured, despite our continuing sin, we can be assured that we will experience uh, final salvation with him forever. So when May I love to tell the story, when J. Gresham Machen, a great uh, Presbyterian who founded Westminster Seminary and the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, when, when Machen died in the 1930s, and he died a little bit slowly, he, uh, he said, uh, thank God for the active obedience of Christ, no hope without it. Because Machen, Machen thought of his sin and he said, thank you, Lord, that I have the righteousness of Christ to trust in rather than myself. And you think, Machen did a lot for the kingdom. <laughs> but he recognized as he was dying, he was a sinner. And he, couldn't, he could not finally plead his righteousness. So I think he was transformed. He was changed. He lived in many ways a virtuous life. But that can't, that can't be the foundation. So and I think it's the gospel. that's why the gospel is such a comfort. That's why everyone should read Luther's 1535 commentary on Galatians. Because Luther, he understood it so well. He understood it experientially, theologically and experientially. 
Yeah, no, that's that's rich, uh, Dr. Schreiner. I appreciate that. And just want to encourage our listeners to to pick up Faith Alone. We're, we're thankful that, Dr. Schreiner, you took the time to devote uh, just time and energy towards this topic and just shedding light on texts and helping us think through that and, and just extend a word of thanks to uh, Matthew Barrett for even just thinking at, at the big picture level what's what's coming in the next couple of years and, and just able to put together a team like that. So. Uh, just th- uh, encourage our listeners to pick up that book. Um, it's very readable. And uh, Dr. Schreiner, we appreciate you joining us and being able to talk just real briefly about the topics of righteousness as it intersects both with New Testament Pauline theology, but as well as uh, within our heritage, within patristic mm-hmm. theology and moving on into the Reformation. And so we're, we're thankful for you and the time that we're able to spend together. Well, thank you, uh, Sean and Trey. I, it's really been a delight to, uh, to talk to you. And, and I'm, I'm excited that you're plumbing the resources of all of church history and doing your work.